Hey there, listeners. Uh, well, welcome to another episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. I had a chance to interview a guy called Josh Fuller, and he's the founder and CEO of Matic Digital. Now, Matic Digital is a, a digital strategy and talent growth agency, and he's grown that business to a huge amount of money and done very well. And he has a lot about, in the conversation we talked about, it was about, a lot about what he drive, what drives Josh to do business and how he is an entrepreneur, but also about pivoting and resilience and so forth. And it's actually quite interesting in the story that he shared. And so the title is, Through Any Storm, There's a Way Out. And Josh shares the story with us and wow, it's just amazing what he's done and how he's pivoted, been resilient, how he's used humor, but also it's about using what he's done as well as used technology to leverage on that to move forward in his life and in his business and so forth. But he also talks about creating more change as well. And so this is a great conversation. If you are facing things right now that are a little bit challenging for you in business or in life, listen to what Josh has to share, listen to his story, but also talk. listen to what he talks about through any storm, there's a way out. And so sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode on the Leadership is Changing podcast. I have a great guest with me today. His name is Josh Fuller. Josh, a massive welcome to you. Well, thank you. It's really good to be joining you from across the world. Excellent. So you're the founder and CEO of Matic Digital, and I've given our listeners a little bit of an introduction to you. But first of all, Josh, whereabouts are you in the world today? I am in my home office in Denver, Colorado. Nice. Very good. In the US. Yeah, yeah, cool. And tell us more about your background. I mean, I've given the introduction to the listeners a little bit, sure. but founder, CEO of Manic Digital, tell us more about that. Tell us more about you. Absolutely. Well, I got into the industry a long time ago, given what you can see on my age. So I've been doing uh, digital and design and strategy for 25 years. Got lucky with an internship when I was studying architecture. And once I found Photoshop and Illustrator, I sort of never looked back at architecture again. And I, this was early 2000s. Weren't a lot of jobs in early 2000s. I had a couple and then the industry started to, you know, kind of shrink with the dot-com implosion. I didn't want to change gears. So I started a freelance shop and then that kind of turned into a, a very boutique agency that I ran for about eight and a half years called Trouble Red. And over the course of that, you know, without the formal training and exposure to bigger agencies, I didn't quite know how to tap into much bigger projects than the ones I got. And it was great. It was great fun and great learning experience, but it wasn't challenging what I really wanted to do. And another agency I'd become associates and friends with kind of had a depleted creative department and tapped me to be their CD. And after a few weeks and some good conversations with the CEO, I decided that felt like a pretty good time. So I went to a group called Spire Digital, became their creative director, built out their creative practice and, and UX was coming online at the time. And it was a really fun and fascinating part of my career in the early 2010s. And then Deloitte Digital was putting up a, a big base here out of Denver. There was only another in Seattle and the game. I mean, it was just, it was practice led. It was specialty led. It was global client 
exposure. It was just everything that sounded fascinating to me. So I was fortunate enough to get hired on there. Did three years at the Denver Institute, amazing colleagues and amazing learnings. Came close to going out to New York, but instead went to Amsterdam and did a year there with Deloitte Netherlands and helped kind of establish their studio practice. They were doing a little, they had the logo and they had some of the collateral, but they were still kind of running it like, like, yeah, a consultancy that has digital. And that just wasn't really the ethos that Deloitte's studio model was doing in the States to some success. So was able to really evangelize that and work with some partners there and get some adoption. And of course, when you make a move like across the world, like I had done, all of a sudden, everybody you've ever met or wanted to work with is calling you with a great opportunity. I, I found myself in Europe saying no to things because I had just moved. But within a year, through some, by way of some Deloitte business, reached out to an old colleague who was at Under Armour and he was about to leave. He mentioned and he told me what he was doing and his funding and asked me to come be employee zero and build out. It was a genomics apps and, uh, so I went and did that. We built two apps and three brands. I was pretty much alone for that process. I finally was allowed to hire somebody near the end. But so I wasn't quite, I was a leader of my domain, but I was mainly the leader of myself in that role. And that had brought me back to Denver. We got acquired. I did a few other health tech startups. And after a few years of that, you know, being on product is wonderful. And I loved my experience with it. But I really wanted some versatility and I was fortunate enough to get an independent contract for about half a year with JetBlue and do some design work with them through an agency that they had contracted. And it was so much fun. And I realized I hadn't had that much fun in 10 years. So I started Matic in September 21. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. What a really cool background. Very rich. A lot of fun. Which is I try and go through it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And tell me something, on your bio here, it talks about you, that you've got a lot to say about finding what drives you, trusting your gut, pivoting with the resilience and humor, discovering and shaping talent, and defending the value of your work. So tell us more about, when, when we talk about the fact that about what drives you, but trusting your gut and pivoting with resilience and humor, tell us more about that. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I think the humor, you know, life is tough, right? And challenging and we all have different walks. I left out the most important part of my background in my life is my daughter. I have a seven-year-old. Her mom and I are best friends, but not together. And we do 50-50. So take the pandemic. I was very fortunate to, you know, the company I was working for at the time was in Boston. So I was already remote. So my world didn't change too much, but, but I got to have this wonderful time with my daughter where a lot of folks were locked up in this bubble and no breathing room. I was half time. So I was on this schedule where for three or four days, I got to be with my kid in a way that, that my parents never got to have with me as a child. And I think we all experienced that as parents, you know, to some extent. But then I had another three or four days a week where I could be alone mm. and have some focus time and some me time. And I didn't, you know, a lot of the families that were, so I felt very fortunate, I guess, in that situation. You know, a good, I'll just maybe tell you a, a little story about our first year, because I think that sums up resilience and humor a little bit is we got started. And as I mentioned, in September 21, picked up a few clients and then and it, things were moving at a good pace. It was just me and I had a contracted project manager. We wasn't quite comfortable enough to hire anybody full-time right out of the gate. And I wanted to build a, bit, a little book of business first. We had done that. We, I ended up getting into an account that was wonderful for Matic. For the first four months of 22, we had phenomenal growth with our team pairing model. So we're an agency, but we also 
found that we're pretty good at finding talent for client needs that maybe don't need the full agency build. They just want a dedicated or immersed resource for a big push, a sprint cycle, you know, so, or, and in some cases they want to convert full time. And if that's organic, that's wonderful. I mean, that would happen too. So we had all of a sudden I had 12 people with one client billings were pretty big on a monthly basis. And then they ran into financial problems as many startups do, and they were becoming very late on payments to the tune of about, you know, so eight months into my business and, and we're, we owe a couple hundred thousand, we're owed a half a million. It was a, a very interesting time in May and June last year. And then on June 8th, I found myself in the hospital unexpectedly. I'd been getting sick quite a bit leading up to it, but finally called uh, telemedicine and I was rather chastised. I was like, why haven't you gone to the doctor already? Like you clearly have an issue. And it turned out to be a gallbladder issue and they could, it was kind of emergency level at that point. They removed it, recovered for a day or two in the hospital, got sent home. Just as I'm starting to feel better about a week later, something in an afternoon, I was doing a client meeting and I started feeling funny during it. And by the end of it, it wasn't funny anymore. And all of this, while again, we're owed a lot of money. So there's like some pretty heavy stress. I end up kind of passing out, came, I was able to call 911, thankfully. They got here and rushed me in and my oxygen was depleted. A gallstone had gotten left behind and blocked my pancreal tubing or lining. I'm not sure of the terms. Triggering acute pancreatitis, bruising of the kidneys, esophagitis from the chronic throwing up. So it was just this crazy thing to be just months into what started so surprisingly well. And then to kind of be, you know, floored a little bit. And so that was, June was basically a hospital month for me. So I guess... The resilience was coming out of it in July, still not paid, really sick and weak and not knowing what's next. And just sort of, it wasn't a coin flip. It was like digging deep into like, what do I really want to do? Because at this point I'm 45, I'm a dad and I'm thinking I'm hireable. I should go get a job. This was a good effort, but it's, I don't have it in me. I'm clearly too old. My health is an issue now. And so I was battling that and I had a few opportunities and, but the opportunities were, that were offered were from thankfully from past colleagues who also took a genuine interest in me. And there was, they said, look, if you genuinely want this, like it's yours, we'll make it happen. I'm like, but you were doing something really cool. Do you want to yeah, give it a little more time? Because, you know, what you have going with Matic does seem viable and, you know, maybe you want to keep with it. And so at the end of July, I, my, my mood and my, my, my mental state started to, to lean more towards the humor of it all and the that all these things could be happening. And like, I'm just like, screw it. I'm going to have a good founder story and I'm going to stick with Matic. And we, we got that attitude changed happened. And about a week later we were paid surprisingly, but gratefully. And, you know, we were paid by that client. And then the last five months have been outrageously good and a number of fronts with all parts. So I think, I, I don't know if that, that's kind of my story. Yeah, that's cool. And that's a, it's, I want to say a great story, but it's, you know, you've had to go through some stuff, which is really amazing. Cause there is a lot of people who have probably listened to this episode right now who are going through things and you know, yeah. when things aren't going right, or you feel like things aren't going right and you're sort of stuck in your world and what's going on for you, because you see in yeah. this country here, Josh, we've got one of the highest suicide rates, which is amazing about what happens, right? Wow. And for a lot of people, wow. it's, there's all sorts of things that are happening for them in their lives. So the reason I wanted, the question I wanted to ask you here is based on what you shared is that when you 
first of all, I don't think men like going to the doctor. So listeners, if you need to go to the doctor, from my perspective and Josh's perspective, for both of us who have gone through health things, go to the doctor. They're there as your friend. They're not there something to be scared, but also get your ego out of the way and make sure you go and do it, right? So that's one thing. But the question I've got for you, Josh, is when you talked about the mood, the mental state, and you change your attitude, how did you change your attitude? What did what happened there? Can, I don't know if you know what happened. And then, yeah, because yeah, a lot of people are going through this right now. So it's about what they can do to help themselves. Absolutely. I mean, what I did, so you might see in my background, a, a fraction of a whiteboard. I do have a whiteboard in my house and I, I drew on it. I drew a circle and I was in the middle and I drew spokes and the spokes either had arrows of actions I could take going out or what I felt were attacks coming in. Attacks meaning like, all the hospital bills, all sure. the, you know, kind of the financial stuff with the business and a few other things happening. But I put it on this whiteboard right next to my desk so that I could see it constantly. I, it somehow gave my brain a break from spinning because it's very easy to spin from one thing to the next. And once your mind solves or comes to a place of peace with one of the issues and you feel like, okay, that's kind of done. I was jumping to the next one. And it, it was just at such a pace that I couldn't manage. And so I wrote it all out. And then... A couple of things, you know, and I used black, red, and green. And a couple of the things that were in red started to switch to green just through taking the actions I could take to deal with them. You know, okay, there's contractors, you know, ICs that were a part that are a part of our team that are being impacted by our bad fortune with the client delays on payments. Credit cards were my friend, but then they became new debts. Mm. So I just mapped it and I slowly started to see the red diminish and the green increase. And that, I, it was just like a reminder that through any storm, there's a way out. Right. And I started to see the way out and that started to rebuild confidence. That started to rebuild excitement and that started to rebuild hope. You know, it's a, it's already scary being a founder. Yeah. Whether, and whether it's 20 years or your first year, it's scary. It's just, you know, every go to LinkedIn and read about the, you know, a lot of founders that have had, has to have these very established companies. You can see the cues from the recession talk and the things. And I mean, it's very common that you're never in a total place of peace, mm -hmm. but you can get to a place of like, okay, I know how to weather a storm and I, I know that storms come and go. So I just, life gave me enough of a breather after a pretty tough summer to get there. And once I was there, it, Everything else started to fall into place. It wasn't that the money came and the mood improved or the ambition changed. It didn't. I decided to stick with Matic. I decided to stick with this, this goal, this idea, this thing I'm building that I believe in, that I'm passionate about. I also had a, you know, a couple of employees and believing in them and committing to them. And I decided, I think it's worth doing. Even if we never see the money, there is a way to pay off the contractors we owe and move forward. Mm. Thankfully, the acceleration happened. Like I said, it was like make, making the decision changed everything. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, I like what you're really saying and sharing there too. So listeners, one thing I would, you know, totally agree with Josh here is that write things down. I don't care whether it's on a whiteboard or whether it's on a, on a notebook or on a tablet. You choose what you want him to do, but write it down because if you can get it out of your head and get it onto paper, then you can see it. But also you're not having to carry it around with you in your head all the time, which is really important. The second thing that you just said there, through any storm, there is a way out. And at the time when you're going through that storm, it may not look like there's a way out, but there is a way out. And so how to weather the storm is really important. But if you can stick to your passion, your dream, 
your vision and understand that's going something that's going to really help. So Josh, I'm really glad you shared that because I think that's really important for our listeners to hear. Yeah, my pleasure. So, how, so I think you've shared a lot already, but I mean, how did you actually get into leadership? So, yeah, I mean, I guess technically with having founded Trouble Red all those years ago, my first boutique, you know, on a much smaller scale, and I never saw the value or worth of what being a leader meant. It was more, I own the client relationship. I need help on a project we've sold and I will pay this person to help. I never looked at it as leader as much as, you know, guy that pays mm. people. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, I would say at Spire that evolved for sure. I'm at the agency I was at. That certainly evolved. So I think Spire was my first real foray into leadership. And it was an interesting and awesome thing. I mean, when I got there, I was basically a alley cat. I mean, I had been outside on the streets all my life. And then I'm in this place where there's peers and there's cultures and there's, you know, committee where we're meeting to discuss, you know, certain practices and how they need to be changed. Maternity leave, vacation, bonus structures, fair and equal pay across, you know, like literally making sure all these things are always happening. Mm. And, you know, so I learned a bit there. And then Deloitte is another wonderful place when it comes to recognizing contribution, giving people, you know, a break when they need it. Hiatuses are okay. Mental health leaves are supported. If they've, I just had like, one of my things is I stay in touch with people. I just had lunch with an old colleague I haven't seen in about seven years on Wednesday, and he is expecting their second child in a couple of months. And I believe it's four months that the, that males are getting at Deloitte for paternity leave. When I was there is when I had my daughter, I got one month. Wow. So, and, and seven years, they really increased that. They're recognizing that it's not all about, you know, <laughs> a man or a woman. It's about a family. Mm changing. So, the, I, you know, taking cues from that, I think, is something that that I'm trying to bring into Matic. We're a much, much smaller operation than a Deloitte. But yeah, I think stepping into leadership now, I knew with Matic, there would need to be differences from anything I'd ever done. I needed to really foster success in people and cultivate their talents and, and not just be a guy who pays you to do right. something. So, you know, doing every, always curious to learn more and and doing everything I can, but I, uh, you know, tell my team all the time that, you know, we're molding this clay together and hiring is a, we're five people. So we have an army of independent contractors that we also work to cultivate relationship with and provide support and whether it's just sharing cool design stuff that we come across that we were like, Hey, what are you guys, you know, what are you guys looking at? We're looking at this. So we try and keep really open conversations with the breadth of the people in our stable, but the core team is five. And so we do a, a couple of roundtables a week, just quick, just start the week, end the week. And then Slack is amazing yep. for group chat, back channel chat, if you need to have a one-to-one -one really quick, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think just being available, being, and, you know, I tell everybody that starts with me that I might Slack at 10 o'clock at night. I never expect a response till the mm -hmm. next day. But when I do have my daughter, single dad, sometimes the thought hits me while I'm, after I've put her to bed and I'm just doing something on the laptop, I'm going to forget if I don't write it. So I'm like, turn off your notifications. It's not meant for you to be there with me. This is my choice to do this right now. I'm choosing to work this much, but, but I'm not expecting it from you. Yeah, team. well, that's good that you've actually set that boundary and people, and people have the understanding of the working, the way you work and so forth and what's expected. Now, Josh, now this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Yeah, so my person's still alive, Phil Knight. I basically don't know, didn't know a lot about him until 
maybe six, seven years ago when I read Shoe Dog. And it wasn't until the pandemic I actually even got into the sneaker shoe thing. I think I was bored and I knew they would stay new longer since I couldn't <laughs> leave the house. I bought a lot of Nikes that year. But now I'm just such a fan of you know, the story. I'm so blown away that this kid in Portland saw, saw an opening and not only in, in that market, but in the global market and traversed to Asia and created the relationships and kind of subcontracted to another running brand before kind of getting screwed and then starting his own. Like Nike wasn't out of the gate Nike. It was kind of a subcontractor brand as I read it seven years ago, folks, if I'm wrong, I apologize. I think I'm, I think I'm right though on that. And just how he, the nerve that took mm. is so impressive. And then to, to make the conversation not about celebrities and endorsements, but about about athletes. And as the brand has progressed, it's, you know, certainly Jordan is a thing that we're all going to know for decades, probably, decades more. But they celebrate everyday athletes. The mom that goes for a morning run, that that's celebrated. That's apparent in the brand. It's in the ethos. It's in the messaging. It's in the advertising. It's everywhere. They have done this well. Mm. They have done this thing well. And they've not always done it well, but they have learned. And as we all do, we get better with age and at least smarter, hopefully. And they have. And so, yeah, Phil Knight. If you and Phil were to sit on a park bench having a cup of coffee together, would Josh have a question for Phil? Yeah, I alluded to it a, a second ago, but, you know, then where did the confidence come mm. from to with $200? You know, I think it was a, maybe it was a couple thousand. It was not much money that his dad loaned him for a plane ticket. Where did he get the confidence to navigate, not just, he'd probably only ever known the U.S. and Portland probably, to navigate traveling to Asia and building in manufacturing relationships on a very fixed budget with no buyers or clients back mm. home. What North Star was driving him. Nice. <laughs> what North Star That's was driving him. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Very good. Nice. Good questions. I wish we know what the answer was, but hey, maybe one day you might get the chance to do it, which would be quite cool. Let's get him on the yeah, show. Yeah, good. Let's get him get on, on the show. <laughs> so the show is called Leadership is Changing. When I say that title or that statement, what does it mean for you? I think I want to take it as literally as I can. Of course it is. Employership is changing. Generations are changing. Music is changing. I mean, every, you know, like in time, we're just changing. And I think with leadership, you know, there's been the phase of the suits and the corner offices that, that used to be what leadership looked yep. like, you know, and then there's many other iterations, but I'll just skip to the, Hey, we're all family. We're all just one family here. That's a version of leadership I think is retiring and with good reason. And I think, I think right now it's leadership's about really supporting the strengths of the people around you. It's near flat hierarchy unless it needs to be like a decision's made and I'll make it. But I think it's a very near collaborative and helping people find the solution, not top to bottom funnel. At least that, again, that's just my, that's what it kind of means to me is it's changing and it's going to continue yeah. to change because everything is going to kind of, you know, move with it. And that's what shapes leadership. And change is constant. And we know that it happens all the time. Yeah. Whether we like it or not. So it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, we're living in a fast-paced, ever-changing world. Technology, business, so data, all of that, just getting faster and faster. And a lot of it is technology is driving it and, and enabling it and empowering it as well, which is all good. Sure. Um, so in that sort of situation, in a fast-paced, ever-changing world, what makes a leader successful today in that type of world? I mean, I think 
being able to, I mean, there's so many factors in it to unpack in there, but at a high level, just being able to leverage it, leverage it quickly. Like, you know, so we're a DX agency, right? We're build some of these apps and, and we do a ton of, of development across web and brand. So right now we're all looking at chat GPT and we're like, this is fascinating. This is incredible. And I'm seeing a lot of, I even got a text from an old colleague that said, oh, you know, we better look for new jobs. And I'm thinking, no, we have this new incredible technology to leverage and harness. And yeah, I guarantee there's going to need to be new softwares to help. Okay. Did chat GPT write the essay or did the student? Did chat GPT write the, this piece of content for a brand or, or did the writers were paying do it? There's going to be so many, again, like every step of technology, I think it's a little bit of a, oh, the humans are going to be gone. And I think leaders sort of have the calm to know that, no, we just have a cool tool that we need to, uh, yeah, if we don't leverage it, we're going to fall behind and then we're obsolete. But no, we just need to learn how to leverage this into the human pattern and the human relationship with technology. Mm. No, I think that's a really good point that you just said there because, you know, the chat GPT and so forth. I mean, I tried it the other day because everyone's going on about it. So I just gave it a go, just put a few things in and I put a, write me an article on this topic. Boom. And it was like, is, and I was, was like, is that it? And I went more and next minute, boof, more. And I was like, heck. Now I looked at it and I thought, but that doesn't sound like Dennis. That doesn't sound like me. So I have to put my voice around this now or into it. But you know what? It's a massive kickstart. It's a massive way to help me get underway. And a lot of people, I think, you know, they get stuck with things or they procrastinate because it's not perfect or they don't have. I think this is just an enabler or a catalyst to help kick things off and get underway. And I've heard mm -hmm. of others who do sometimes eight hours worth of work around scripts and things like that. It's brought it down to an hour now, right? So now they're going to be able to service more customers and help more people, which is all great. But you're right. There is so much more we can do on top of this, well, from this, based on what's happening. Yeah. I love any tool that can create an automation of what you need only enables us to do mm. more. Ergo, back to your last point, probably create more change, right? And, I, you know, in, in our world, a lot of the apps we do, it's like, oh, you know, building a site over here and you have a CRM over here and we need the two to talk. Well, Zapier is a service that creates automations. And what used to take a developer, hey, we, I've got to write this API from scratch. You know, we're going to tweak it out just for you. And what used to be a several hundred hour to more development step it is now a, you know, day or two of configuration and it's complete. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, oh, so it should all be cheaper. And it's like, no, it means we can do more. It means that's not the lift it used to be because the Mount, that's no longer Mount Everest. Mount Everest is over here now, whatever yeah. your Mount Everest might be. Yeah. But it just, all it means is we've simplified what used to be very. Just want to remind you, Mount Everest was got, conquered by a Kiwi. Yes, a New Zealander. That's right. Um, we're always, see, or I, you know, I, I put that in yeah, there. Thanks, man. It's really good. <laughs> hey, Josh, you and I have been talking about it from a lens of uh, entrepreneur, CEO, founder type person, leader. We've been talking about it through that way. But let's talk about from an employee's lens now too. Because both you and I yeah. have both been employees in the past, but also we have employees or we know people who are, who are employees. So if we change gears and we ask this question, how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think... I think empathy and FaceTime had become more of a norm, but I think that ex that wasn't always the case. It used to be, at least 
in my experience, it was always a rare moment or a review or a pivotal moment of some kind to get access to a certain tier of leadership. And I think approachability, humanality is kind of expected now. I think that's a big change in the right direction. And I don't know if, if you got fans of Christmas vacation yeah. at all with, yeah. So well, it's our know, summer holidays, seat. right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So Christmas vacations is our, when we have a Christmas vacation here, it's actually this part of the world, it's our summer holiday. So when July, August, you go on summer break, that's when it's our summer break. Yeah. Is Christmas. Oh, wow. Okay. So in that movie, and there's a scene where the boss is kidnapped yep. by Chevy Chase's cousin. And he literally says, sometimes you forget the little when you're up at the top, you're making decisions. I just don't think that's a thing as much anymore. I do think another, another point that I would think, at least what I'm hearing from a lot of talent, like the layoffs are, are constant right now. We're in a real wave of them. And I, it's almost bandwagon layoffs at this point. It's like, everybody's doing it. This is a good time. Let's just get right. it done. And that's, you know, it's a part of the industry, unfortunately, and it won't be forever. It's just right now. But I at least hope what employees are starting to expect is a little more transparency and flexibility. Like, does it need, I think the promise of the 40 hour a week, regular nor- Northern trajectory, benefits, bonuses, salary increases, and promotions over, over time. Sure. I think that promise doesn't exist yep. anymore the way it used yep. to. And I hope employees are seeing that and starting to think about, well, okay, employers have changed the game. So I need to also you know, we as a force need to be thinking about how we choose employers from mm-hmm. now on. And, you know, there's a lot of things since COVID that have changed people's whole outlook on the 12 month a year job mm-hmm. versus four month on, two month off, you know, four month on, two month off. I mean, there's there's so many mixed schedules. So I think employees have a real opportunity to to really level up the conversation because right now it's just, yeah, I, it used to be a really big deal to be, I'm with, you know, this big tech company or that big tech company. I'm not naming names because they're all welcome at Matic as clients. But the, you know, I, being there is like a, a big moment. The promise anymore of like being a lifer or being safe and having that job security when your project's done, if it doesn't blow up the way it was forecasted to, the commitment's kind of gone. And I think employees' expectations should start to be realistic. That's just the world that we live in. So how do we evolve mm-hmm. that? Yeah, yeah, it's good. How do we change? Change yeah, you're good. Now, when you said Christmas holiday, I didn't realize you were talking about a film, but then you, I would, yeah, um, it's all good. Okay, yeah. that makes clear, that's clear as well. But more transparent flexibility, that's good. I also think that the fact that you're talking about, they call it the gig economy, right? The way that we work and things like that, four months on, two months off type thing. It's the flexibility. It's the ability to go and do what you're wanting to go and do. As long as you're doing things that's really your passion and your purpose and your dri- it's driving you, great. Who cares? As long as the work's getting done, that's always going to be a good thing. Now, you and I have talked about quite a few things today, and if I was to get you to get your crystal ball out now and talk about the future or think about the future, where do you see leadership being in five? Wow. Yeah, I do not have a crystal ball, but you know, I can tell you where I hope I'm at with it is that the team around me is continuing to just always feel very comfortable and encouraged and empowered to have insight have actual ownership and things again that you know we're we're all a family here that's not what i mean what i mean is total access to to thought share on whether it's pivotal i think any company is the more leaders can kind of treat their company like clay that's being molded with change and with people the better there's the best 
all the best startups, a lot of people, it's, they left the place because they weren't mm. heard. I think just being able to listen, being able to accommodate, being able to empower is going to be a real cue for successful leadership down the Excellent. Road. Josh, it's been great talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? So like most, I'm on LinkedIn. We'll post it. And our URL is maticdigital.com, M-A-T-I-C. Real easy to yeah, find. Once again, hey, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, I hope you really enjoyed it. Thank too. you, Dennis. Thank, thank you. Thank you. So there you go, listeners. Create more change, technology, embrace it. Go out there through the, any storm. Just know there is a way out. So how to weather a storm is really important for you and for all of us. Okay, so thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 